Welcome, welcome to Southfield. We are glad that you are here today, glad that you carved out time of your day to be here with us, to worship God, to spend some time together, and uh, hopefully grow and learn. Growing is important. Uh, it's important to get, you know, growth happening in our lives. And so, to that end, we're actually going to invite uh, Kyle and Heather Roberts up to the stage here, as we are going to uh, have a dedication, a family dedication of their daughter, Leah with an H. Leah with an H? Yes. Leah with an H, Grace. <laughs> Leah, with a, Leah with an H, Grace. And boy, I tell you, I, I was uh, talking earlier uh, with, with uh, Heather's husband, or Heather's father, Mark, about how when you have a kid, uh, it's amazing how, you know, you have this relationship between husband and wife, and that's all well and good, and there's love that's involved there. But then all of a sudden, something has to change because this new being enters the mix, and your love grows. And it was really cool. Mark said, you know, it's kind of like how God is. And I'm like, ooh, good point. Absolutely true. How, you know, his love for us just is uh, it's overwhelming utterly overwhelming, is the love that you two have for Leah. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Well, when we do family dedications, uh, we, we always kind of bring our minds back to a specific verse in the book of Deuteronomy. And it talks about, talks about basically the way that we should, as parents, uh, dedicate ourselves to the raising of our kids in a way that keeps God's Word in front of them. Because that's really the charge, right? I mean, we as parents have a responsibility to bring our kids up in what's called the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? And so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, uh, and I'm actually going to start a little bit earlier than traditionally what we, uh, what we use. But I want you to hear all of this, because really this is a dedication for you guys uh, as you raise Leah in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Here's what Deuteronomy 6 says. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is how you model the love of God for Leah. That's how you model it. He goes on to write, These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. Make it a part of your dinnertime conversation. Make it a part of your playtime conversation. It should be a, a normal occurrence as you go through life. Impress these things on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And basically what he's saying is all the time, right? I mean, we are always modeling uh, the love of God for our little ones. So can I, can I hold her? Yeah. Oh, that would be absolutely amazing. Okay. Let's pray for Leah. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of Leah. Thank you for creating her in your own image, for bringing her into the world and for giving her just the most amazing parents. God, I pray that you would watch over her, that you would bless her, that you would make your, your face shine on her, that you would be gracious to her, that you would, you would give her peace in her life. I pray that she would come to know you at an early, early age. She would help mom and dad to model the love of Christ to her as you have to them. We just lift her up. Pray for your blessing on their family, that you would give them wisdom, discernment, and just that as they model uh, your love for little Leah, uh, that she would grow in wisdom and in stature. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? <laughs> amen. Goatees are the best. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yep. So glad.
Oh. Okay, that was awesome. How cool uh, is it? Right? I'm sorry. I'm just saying. That was amazing. She is just the cutest. Especially, right? like, <laughs> just, just a week before you send your I know. Youngest. Stop. Just please stop, will you? Whew. Yeah. Man, sorry. My, my young, I was, like, getting choked up over my, my youngest is, uh, is going to college, uh, going away to college in about a week and a half, so... Thank you. Would you like to preach now? Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> stop. Just stop. Oh, oh well, again, welcome to Southview. We're so happy that you are here in this beautiful air-conditioned room. You know, that's something, it, I'm foreshadowing a little bit, but it, in terms of being thankful uh, for things, I'm so thankful that God gifted the person who was most annoyed with being hot with the ability to come up with the air conditioner. Right. Absolutely. I'm so thankful yeah. for the It's for amazing. The it is yeah. It's a, game, it's a total game changer. You know what's another game changer? What's that? Journey groups. Oh, journey groups are journey a game changer. Journey groups are a yep. total, total game changer. And if you open up your Church Center app this morning and you found us, you found Southfield Church in the Church Center app, you will see that our journey group selection is There's a abundant. whole slate. There's a whole slate of them. They're all over the place. A lot of different ones. There's something for literally people of all ages, yep. all, all different days of the week. Uh, I'm, I can't say this for certain, but it seemed to me that Jesse Majerus is leading a different group on each day. I think it's 20. I think the total number is 27 different groups yeah, that, that we, Jesse's leading. I'm going to so. ask her to lead a 28th. I haven't told her that yet, but yeah. Uh, just some really, really cool offerings. Any that come to your mind? Right oh, well, here? I mean, I know Apples of Gold was a big hit last time, and that's, uh, that's running again. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about the, I'm always excited about the basketball one. You know that. Mm -hmm. um, excited about uh, the guys. Um, 6.30 in the morning, super early, but, uh, but a great time of just getting together. I love that one. Uh, dinner in First John. Do I, should do I keep going here, you, or do I stop at some You could, point? but we'll be here for another 30 minutes. I know, minutes, I know. So. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a little something for everybody, and there's even one that I'm... Again, I, know, I already know what you're going to say. I know the one you're talking about. Kind of fired up about this. I'm scrolling through, and usually I'm a visual learner. I'm a visual person, so I, I'm looking, okay. and I'm seeing all these different pictures. That's it. That's the grabber for me. Yeah. And, and I saw shotgun shells on yeah. there. Yeah. And I'm like, what the heck's that, that all about? Open it up, and Don Yost is going to be hosting four different times throughout the fall, all leading up until December. That's fantastic. Well, we're going to get to go trap shooting, get into the scripture, get into word, and uh, have some time to eat together. Oh, that's so his group amazing. is called Trap, Train, and Table. That, that is something that is completely Some, off the reservation. I'm looking so forward to doing Something that. new and different, something new and different. Now, Brian, I don't yeah. know about you, but for me, uh, I'm, I'm a busy guy, right? I got a lot of different things going on. And, you know, as I look at the slate of groups, I, you know, it is pretty obvious to me that there are some that fit my schedule, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it to all of them. Mm. I mean, should I... Should I bother signing up? I mean, I don't want to be the guy who signs up for a group and then doesn't come, you know, half of them. Is it still worth doing? Let me put it this way. Okay. My mom, when I was going through high school and trying to play as many sports and do as many activities as I could, she made one rule for me. You're not allowed to quit anything that you start. So when cross country reached its peak mileage and I was like, yeah, it's 92 degrees and I don't really want to run today. Can I just quit? My mom would be like, no get out there. But if I was sick, if I had a huge, you know, major project due, if life stuff happened and I had to miss one practice, I'd have to deal with the repercussions from the coach. But ultimately, that was okay because I wasn't quitting on the group. So I think even as busy as we all are, we, everybody understands. Life happens. Right. Things get in the way. So that one miss here or there is okay. We don't want to just make excuses. Right, we for sure. We don't want to sign up for something that's, you know, eight weeks long and then say, well, I can make one. Uh, but, right. but if you can find the time to be a part of that, be a part of Journey Group, this is where relationships happen. Right. I know a lot of us walk into Southfield or walk into a church and, and we feel like this is just home. But that connection happens not just here in the room, not just when we're serving, but also in those small groups. Yeah, well, you know that uh, we talk a lot about, you know, Southfield being all about life change, and we always say life change is kind of predicated on that three-pronged stool, right? It's based on three different things, or the, that stool kind of helps to, helps to form a foundation. Mm -hmm. Three legs. Sunday morning, we're here, we make a commitment to that. Serving in some capacity in small groups. Because that's where accountability and relationship happens. And, uh, you know, God wants us to grow. And so we've got to do something to make that happen. So mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I would encourage you all to at least check them out. You can, again, look through them on the Church Center app. You can go to the Info Hub today, ask Don all about shooting, uh, or any of the other groups. We want to be able to, to guide you, to help you find that one group uh, that is right for you. Maybe there's multiple groups. I know I'm going to try to go to several of them. And the great thing about this is that the way we structure groups is the easy on-ramp, easy off-ramp. Yeah. You're not signing on the dotted line until 2029, guys. We're not, we're not requiring that you, you know, are there every week or you're kicked out or anything like that. We have a group that started several years back um, that has just kind of morphed and continued to go on. So it feels like we've been a part of that group forever, but that's part of the nature of, of us being together. Okay. We wanted to keep it going. And yeah, people have come and gone and, and left and it's changed, but, uh, but ultimately that we've got some great relationships. My wife and I have gotten great relationships out of just being together. There's that, uh, that verse in Acts 2 that talks about in the early church, they, they uh, met together in the temple courts, how frequently? Daily. Every day, right? So, I mean, there is kind of a precedent for, uh, for this, and we just we have to make time. If we're going to grow, we have to make time. Yeah. So, yep. So, I encourage you to do that. Um, the other thing that you can do on the Church Center app is give. And we, again, sure. we appreciate your generosity in that. If you haven't started doing that, I'm going to keep pressing it. It's so stinking easy. It's so easy to do that through the app. But if you haven't gotten there yet, we do have the black box on the wall on your way out so you can provide uh, your offering that way. And again, thank you so much uh, for continuing to do that. One thing that I did miss in the first service, I feel really bad about it. Okay. Labor Day is coming, which means we have baptisms. Right. Yeah, that's a big deal. And a really, really cool way uh, to declare your, your love and your faith in Jesus and that you've come into that relationship and tell the world about it is, is by getting baptized. We're, we're told to do it. Um, not a requirement for heaven, yep. but we're, we're told, pro profess your faith. Yeah. Let people know. And we're going to have a couple of different ways that you can do that at our outdoor Labor Day service, because we will be outside on Labor Day Sunday, just one service. Uh, but you can either do that in our tank or in the river. The one thing that we do need is for you to tell us that yeah. I'd like to be a part we of that day. We need the info, day. for sure. And then yeah. which way you'd like to go, because yeah. we know some people, like, River, fish, ew. And other people like tank, ew. I, I guess I don't know anybody that said tank, ew. No, yeah, but, not, not yet. But still, maybe you're the one coming. who's like it tank, ew. I want to do the yeah. river. So either way, uh, let us know either at the info hub or contact us through the website. We'd love to have you be a part of that great day. Did you know that Jesus got baptized? I did. It's a thing. Yeah. yeah. There was a guy actually named for baptizing Jesus. Right, right. right. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, anyway. pretty cool. All right. <laughs> to get us on our way today, uh, my... Uh, my dad is actually still uh, not with us here today, so we have one more awesome week of, of teaching from you. Cool. Get it going. Awesome. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know how often you go to the eye doctor, but for me, it's annually, every year. Every year, I go to the eye doctor, and he says, John, um, we need to change your prescription. Uh, we need to get you some new contacts, some new glasses. Uh, because if we don't get you into a different prescription, you are going to be a wreck, right? And so, you know, I go in there, and he says, now, you know, in addition with getting you into this new prescription, uh, I'm going to introduce you to this very intimidating machine. Now, please put your chin in the cup, and I'm going to blow a puff of, of air into your eye all the way until it's the back of your skull. Did they make you do this? I hate this. They, you put your chin in the little cup, and they say, okay, get ready. Get ready, and, and you just you sit there, and you wait. It's torture is what it is, really, and I hate it because that, that insidious puff of air hits the eye socket, and I don't really know what it's for. I'm sure there's some good reason that they actually do this, but I always feel like as I'm walking out of the office, I can kind of hear the optometrist snickering a little bit with his staff. Like, you see how many times I, got, I faked this guy out? Four times I made him flinch today. hate that. Hate it. And don't even get me started on the yellow eye drops. Those are even worse. I can't read for hours. But he says, John, we got to change your prescription. I said, boy, you got, a, you got that right, Doc. I go to a restaurant, and if I'm not wearing my glasses, I can't see the bill. I can't see uh, in order to be able to total it out and put a tip on there. So I have to hand it to my kids and let them do it. And 
That may explain why I've been getting overdraft fees in my checking account. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about their mathematical abilities. No, that's not true. They do a great job of helping me out uh, when I can't see. But we've got to be able to see, right? Seeing is important. Last week, we talked about how this series was going to be very loosely based on uh, two wonderful children's books, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? and Polar Bear, Polar Bear, What Do You Hear? And last week, we posed the question, well, what do you hear? What do you hear uh, as you're listening for God? Are you able to hear God speaking truth into your life? All right, we talked about how our compassionate God gently whispered encouragement to the prophet Elijah when Elijah was feeling particularly alone and vulnerable. We talked about our need to be like Samuel, asking God, speak, speak, Lord, inviting him to speak because we, his servants, are listening. And we talked a little bit about how the more we carve out time and space and, and effort and put our own agendas to the side and make room to listen, the more we're able to hear the gentle whisper of God speaking truth into our lives. I am, know me. I made you, I know you, I love you, fear not, uh, don't worry, uh, you know, and on and on it goes. You know, Jesus often said at the end of some of his teaching, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Because I think he knew that God was speaking and God is speaking. We just need to learn how to listen. So today we're going to turn our attention to a different one of the five senses, and that's sight. Instead of asking today, what do you hear? This week we reflect on the question, what do you see? What do you see? Can you see the movement and action of the living God in your life? When you look closely at your life, at your circumstances, at your situation, what do you see? Sight is critical I think we depend on sight probably more heavily than sound, smell, taste, or even touch to navigate our world. Yet we come across certain verses in Scripture, and they're a little bit confusing to us. Verses like uh, 2 Corinthians 5-7, which says, We live by faith, not by sight. Now, if I'm walking into a busy intersection, I better have clear sight, or I'm going to get wrecked. It's not really enough for me to just close my eyes and say, well, I'm going, to take, I'm going to have faith that God loves me and that he's going to take care of me, so I'm just going to close my eyes and cross the street. Uh, I choose to walk by faith. Well, if that's not what walking by faith is, well, what is it? How does it really work? Well, let's take a look back into the story of Elijah and his protege and see what we can see about walking by faith. Remember last week that we found Elijah standing at the mouth of a cave, listening to the gentle whisper of God. And in his gentle whisper, God informed Elijah that he would have a successor, somebody to come after him. Although Elijah was discouraged, it was important for him to know that God's plan did not end with him. We read that the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Three tasks. Anoint Hazel king over Aram. Anoint Jehu king over Israel. And anoint Elisha to be your own successor. In other words, Elijah the show will go on. Right? The plan doesn't end with you. In fact, I can already tell you who the next prophet in Israel will be, and his name rhymes with your name. Elijah, Elijah meet Elisha, because he's going to be Elijah 2.0. There are so many amazing stories about this guy, Elisha. I mean, if you look at the book of 2 Kings, there, there are a lot of different things that Elisha was able to do because God empowered him to do it. Let me give you just three of them right off the top. God enabled him to provide a never-ending jar of olive oil for a poor woman who had no other means of providing for herself. That's in 2 Kings chapter 4. God enabled Elisha to heal an army commander from Aram 
of leprosy. Amazing. That's in 2 Kings chapter 3. This one, even more amazing. God enabled him to raise a young boy who had died back to life. Did you know that? Elisha actually, you know, Jesus wasn't the only one who came back to life. God empowered Elisha to raise this boy who had died back to life. An amazing story of the, of the power of God. 2 Kings 3. Or, yeah, 2 Kings 4, that one is. But the story we're going to zero in on today comes from 2 Kings chapter 6. And at this time, what's happening is that the king of Aram, the king of Aram, was at war with Israel. And he plotted with his commanders to find a strategic place that he might set up camp against Israel so that he could attack them. However, time after time, Elisha warned the king of Israel so that they could set up guards at different stations to prevent an attack from taking place. And this happened again and again and again, to the point where the king of Aram thought he had a mole in his army. He thought he had a traitor in his army. Somebody had to be giving his instructions to the people of Israel so that they could station these guards over and over again. And he demanded of his officers, who's the mole? Who's the traitor? And one of his officers spoke up and said, uh, you may not know this, but there is a prophet in Israel, his name is Elisha, who can hear every word that you say. Because God had empowered Elisha to thwart the plans of the king of Aram at every turn. Well, as you can imagine, uh, the king of Aram was none too pleased with this. And he ordered his troops to go arrest Elisha. This is starting to have a familiar ring to it, isn't it? I mean, last week we saw that Elijah's life was threatened by the leaders of Israel. Now it's Elisha's turn to be in the hot seat. And since the king of Aram had been thwarted, outwitted by Elisha time after time after time, he was not going to take any chances. He didn't just send a few soldiers to capture Elisha. No, he sent an army to go and make sure that they could capture him. A strong force that surrounded the city of Dothan where Elisha was staying. We pick up the story in verse 15 where we read, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. So this is Elisha's servant. He gets up, goes out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He's asking Elisha, what do we do? Now, putting it another way, if I understand it from the Hebrew, uh, basically what he was saying translates roughly to in trouble. We have to run. We have to hide. This is not a good situation. I mean, this dude was in full-fledged panic mode. He was, he was freaking out, if you can say it that way. Now, I know, you know, we tend to want to rush into judgment and the things like this and say, well, come on, Elisha's servant, what's the matter with you? Why don't you have faith? I mean, after all, we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Well, before we classify him as a spiritual wimp, Let's assess the situation for a moment. Are they surrounded? Check. Are they surrounded by an army that is ready and prepared for battle? Check. Are they outnumbered? Check. Actually, I would say hopelessly outnumbered. So in a situation like that, based on what the servant could see with his eyes, panic is not only reasonable, it's completely expected as a response to a desperate situation. We've all been there at one point or another. We've all experienced panic. We've all experienced anxiety at one point or time or another in our lives, surrounded by an enemy. Maybe not a physical army, but perhaps circumstances that are overwhelming to us. Aren't panic and fear and helplessness and dread and despair our natural response to those types of situations? You, know, you don't know where the money's going to come from to pay your bills the next month. You're facing a surgery that you didn't ask for, but it's staring you in the face day after day. Dealing with the loss of a loved one. Right? The fear of being alone. 
Or, or maybe the fear of not being left alone. Fear of the responsibilities of, of a job. Fear of the loss of a job. Living with the poor decisions of people that we love, that we have no control over, yet we have to live with the consequences of. Right? Sometimes our circumstances do involve imminent physical, emotional, or spiritual danger. Other times, right, we build the danger up so dramatically in our minds that it seems to be just larger than life to the point where it can become so overwhelming that it's just utterly debilitating. Dear friends, this is not the life that God had in mind for us when Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. A rich, abundant, satisfying life. But how can we have such a life when our circumstances can turn so dire in the blink of an eye? Well, to answer that, let's, let's keep pushing forward into the passage and see what happens next. Right, Elisha's servant, scared to death, and Elisha's response is just priceless. He says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And I love that Elisha starts his response with fear not. One of the most common whispers of God, fear not. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. And you can almost envision the eye roll of Elisha's servant. Don't be afraid. Are you kidding me right now, Elisha? Can you see that we're surrounded? Do you have eyes in your head at all? What's the matter with you? But you see, Elisha's vision is not cloudy at all. He's not suffering from some LASIK gone bad surgery that's left him scarred and blinded. Sorry to those of you who are considering LASIK. He's not dealing with cataracts, nearsightedness, farsightedness, or any other kind of sightedness. Elisha sees perfectly clearly. It's just that what Elisha sees is very different than what his servant sees. And why? Because he's walking by faith and not by sight. So he says, fear not to his servant, because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And again, you can kind of see Elisha's servant working out the math in his brain. Well, okay, let's see here. Got me. That's one. Then there's you. Okay, so that's two. Elisha, I think you need a math interventionist. I think you need some tutorial uh, extra work on your math skills because we're two and we're surrounded by an army. I think you need some serious help. But you see, Elisha's sight is bigger than what he sees with his eyes. It's more than all the rods and cones can put together and form into an electrical impulse message to his brain. His vision of reality is much broader than that of his poor servant. And you see, the reason that Elisha can say to his servant, don't be afraid, is because Elisha knows the reason why they don't have to be afraid. The name of God. I am. God is. And Elisha knows that he and his servant are on God's side. So the, the text continues says that Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, open his eyes, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Just like that, the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and all of a sudden, he was able to see what Elisha saw. He could see the reason behind Elisha's confidence. Now, the circumstances did not change. They were still surrounded. There's still an army all over the place. They're still surrounded by the enemy army. They're still under threat of attack. But in a single moment, everything changed for the servant because of what he saw. Elisha saw it clearly. His servant didn't until his eyes were opened. Then the servant understood why Elisha could be so calm in the middle of the crisis. Those who are with us are more than those who are with, the, with them. One set of circumstances, but two very different perspectives. One perspective results in disillusionment, discouragement, and defeat. 
The other results in hope, confidence, assurance, and peace. What we see when we look at our lives really does matter. Like Elisha, we need to be able to see that God is involved and active in our lives so that we can live fearlessly in our time the same way that Elisha lived fearlessly in his. Now you can read the rest of what happens in 2 Kings chapter 6, and it is fascinating. Elisha prays that God would strike the army with temporary blindness which is incredibly ironic, given that the whole passage is about what is seen versus what is unseen. Elisha then leads them directly to the king of Israel, and when they get there, the king of Israel feeds them and sends them home on their way. Voila, war over, conflict ended, no shots fired, amazing. God came through. Incredible. But that brings us back to the question of the day. Southfield, Southfield, what do you see? When you're in crisis mode, when you're in the fire, what do you see? Do you see that those who are with us are more than those who are with them? Or do you just see the crisis that's in front of you? What exactly is the difference between living by faith and living by sight? Well, Living by sight is letting our circumstances or what is happening to us control the state of our soul. Living by faith is letting the state of our soul dictate how we feel about and respond to our circumstances. Living by sight means white-knuckling it. Going it alone and hoping for the best. It means sleepless nights and that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. I hate that. Hate it. Living by faith means believing in the goodness of God even when you can't see it. It means believing in the power of God even when you can't feel it, perhaps especially when you can't feel it. It means choosing to believe what God says over and above what we can see and what we can perceive. Living by sight is fraught with worry. Worry about today. Worry about tomorrow. Worry about the things we can control. Worry about the things we can't control. Worry about all of the what-ifs. What if I lose my job? What if my spouse doesn't survive the surgery? What if my children get hurt? What happens if I say yes? What happens if I say no? What if, what if, what if? And as my kids know, I'm fond of the saying, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. (laughs) Never ends, this what-if nonsense. Living by faith, well, it's not the removal of the circumstances, but it is the calm and the storm. Living by faith is knowing that if God is for us, no one can really be against us. Living by faith means internalizing truths, like John 14, 27, where Jesus says to his followers, peace, peace, love them, and are called according to his purpose. Can I just come out and just say it? I mean... Living by faith is way better than living by sight. And it's not even close. Not even close. Living by faith is way better. So if we know that, and we want to grow in this area of walking by faith instead of by sight, we're going to need to change the way we look at things. We're going to need to look inward, outward, and upward. Three things. Look in, look out, and look up. First thing we need to do is we need to look inward. We need to look inside our hearts because our sight is directed by what we believe. We read in John 20 that after Jesus was crucified, the most amazing things started to happen. He started showing up. He started going to various groups of people at various times in various places and showing up because God had raised him back to life after he had been crucified. And on one of these occasions, uh, his followers were gathered together, all except for one guy, one guy, Thomas. Thomas was missing. He wasn't there when Jesus appeared, and the other disciples 
tried to convince Thomas that they had seen Jesus. He had come, he was with them, he had spoken with them, but Thomas the doubter, he was having none of it. I won't believe it. Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Do you know why Thomas said that? Because he he held to the same misguided philosophy that Elisha's servant held to. Seeing is believing. Only a few short days later, Jesus appeared again and said to Thomas, Check it out, friend. Put your fingers here. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And of course, as you would expect, Thomas immediately exclaims, My Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, You believe because you've seen me. You believe because of what your eyes are telling you. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know what Jesus was saying here? Saying, Thomas, you and Elisha's servant are hung up on the idea that seeing is believing. Elisha's servant saw the army assembled against him and missed the fact that God was right there, standing right beside them and had their back. You didn't believe that I had risen because you hadn't seen me. But you guys have it exactly 100% backwards. You're 180 degrees out of phase. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. We cannot see the combined physical and spiritual reality of our world until we believe. It's only when we believe in God, in Jesus, in His love, in His care for the world, in His life-giving sacrifice for humanity, that we begin to see clearly. Up until that point, the Bible describes us as blind, spiritually blind, or dead, spiritually dead. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. So when we come to the question of what we see, well, it depends so much on what we believe. And it boils down to a daily choice. Do we take God at His word and believe Him when He tells us He knows us, He loves us, and has our best in mind no matter what our circumstances dictate? Or do we choose to simply focus on what we can see? It's a choice. It's a daily choice. And until we come to the point where we take God at His word and believe Him, we are never going to see clearly. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. When you're drowning in circumstances, in the circumstances of life, it is not easy to live by faith. It's hard. But no one ever said that living a Spirit-filled life was going to be a walk in the park. Sometimes it's not easy, but that's okay. Because even through the worst of it, God is still there and He's still trustworthy. Sometimes we just need a little reminder to remember that. I think David nailed it in Psalm 23 where he writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're with me. If we're going to grow in walking by faith, we start by checking our hearts, what we believe. We look inward. After looking inward, we need to shift our gaze to our circumstances and invite God into them. We look outward. Now, looking outward is not simply focusing on our problems or focusing on our pain. That's how the world looks at things. That's not the way that we look at things. That's how Elisha's servant saw things before his eyes were opened. Instead, our belief in God, that look inward, informs us about how we see and deal with life. Looking outward means asking God for help. Asking Him to show up. Inviting Him into our circumstances, problems, trials, and pain. Looking outward is saying to God, I'm seeing lots of trouble here, and I know that you care, and I know that you have the power to help, so I'm asking you, I am begging you right now to come alongside me, right here, right now. And as we think about the predicament of Elisha 
and his servant, we can clearly see that unless God showed up in a big way, they were going to be in deep trouble. When we look at our own lives and the struggles and the troubles that we face, it should be equally apparent that unless God shows up in a big way, we're in big trouble. Do you know what we need? We need a rescuer. We need a God who, when we look outward and call on Him, can actually answer us and do something about our situation. Fortunately, we have a God who invites us to call out to Him as our rescuer. He wants us to do that. I searched for the word rescue just in the book of Psalms and was astonished at the number of times I I saw it show up. Uh, You can do that on Bible Gateway. Just put a word in there, and and it's basically the same thing as Googling it, and see how many different passages of Scripture have that word in it. Let me give you just a few. Psalm 2520, the psalmist writes, Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. That's for you junior hires. The Lord will rescue His servants. No one who takes refuge in Him will be condemned. It's another one. Psalm 35, 17. How long, how long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. You ever feel like you're being attacked? Like you're being surrounded? Like you're under the gun, so to speak? Rescue me from their ravages. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. Psalm 69. Rescue me from the mire. Do you ever feel like you're stuck in the mire? You're stuck in quicksand? You're drowning? The psalmist writes, Rescue me from the mire. Don't let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me and from the deep waters. Psalm 140. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent. I'll give you two more. Psalm 142. Listen to my cry. For I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Psalm 143.9. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. I don't know how this works for you, but for me, that look outward comes in the form of a simple one-word prayer. Help. Help. God, I need your help. I'm drowning right now, and I need you to rescue me. Looking outward means praying to God, inviting Him, asking Him to intervene and rescue us, no matter what the circumstances may be. So we look inward. We look outward. And finally, we look upward. Looking upward simply means giving God the credit when He shows up and answers prayer. It means seeing God move and simply saying, thank you, when He shows up and answers prayer. It means giving Him the credit. You know, sometimes we can allow ourselves to call the movement of God in our lives a happy happenstance, a wonderful coincidence, or being fortunate, or just, you know, being lucky, having a a string of good luck. And in a way, if you think about it, that's like robbing God from the glory and the credit that He deserves for rescuing us, for showing up and responding to our prayers. It's kind of similar to what it would be like if you scrimped and earned and saved and bought an amazing gift for someone that you love. And you brought them that gift and they, they opened it and they looked at it and kind of shrugged their shoulders and, like, well, okay. That's, that's what it's like when we fail to say thank you, God, for showing up in a big way. What a letdown. What a letdown that would be to feel that way. Looking up takes a little practice. But when we start believing in God's goodness and asking Him to show up in our lives, we will be amazed at how we start seeing Him more and more and more. 
And we want to be, be sure that we're looking upward and giving credit where credit is due. Small things, big things, medium-sized things. We always want to be looking upward with thankful hearts for God's involvement in our lives. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. I have four kids, so I'll give you four. Uh, number one, uh, earlier this year, Rachel was kind of out looking for a job. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? She found an opportunity working with a group of people that already knew her. Uh, a great opportunity, a great place uh, for her to connect and work there. What a happy happenstance. What a wonderful coincidence that that worked out that way, right? No. Thank you, God, for providing that opportunity. Adam, uh, over the course of the last year, was kind of looking at where was he going to go to school. Right? Are there, is there going to be an opportunity there? Is there not going to be? I don't know what's going to happen. And just uh, a number of weeks ago, he started his, uh, his grad school work at a university that is allowing him to, to stay, live at home uh, and study there. What an uh, amazing coincidence. What a happy happenstance that that worked out. I mean, what good luck. What good fortune. No. Thank you, God, for intervening in that situation, providing an amazing opportunity. Some of you know that Jared was involved in a terrible biking accident last year. Uh, he was biking down a hill at McKinley Woods and uh, fell over the handlebars. It was a, a bad situation. He was in a bad way. And um, as it happened, he fell six feet in front of a friend that had really had no business being there, right? A, a, a guy, a friend of the family that happened to be there at just the right time, at just the right place, was able to come and help. And there just happened to be paramedics on site before the ambulance showed up. What an amazing happy happenstance. What a great fortuitous set of circumstances, right? No. Thank you, God, for looking over the boy when he was in that situation. Looking up, saying thank you. Earlier this summer, uh, Jessica just made the decision to, uh, that she's going to be going away to school. We were late to the game. Uh, we were trying to find a room for her. Couldn't. Right? Found a place that was, was not great. Uh, it was kind of it was on campus, but it was at the far end of campus. Was it going to be safe? We didn't know. We were worried. We were concerned. And she prayed, you know, God, show up. I don't know what your plan is, but that you would, you would guide this circumstance and, uh, and help me to be where you want me to be. What a happy happenstance that only a day or two later, the perfect room in the perfect place in the center of campus happened to open up. What a coincidence. No. Thank you, God, for hearing and answering prayer. We need to stop calling the happy happenstances happy happenstances and start recognizing the action of God in our lives and giving credit where credit is due. Growing in this area of faith involves looking in. Belief in God and His revealed Word. Looking out, asking the rescuer to rescue us and looking up. Recognizing the movement of God in our lives for what it is. The movement of God in our lives. So when the day is done and it's quiet, what do you hear? When you look at your life, what do you see? God speaks constantly. He moves in our lives frequently. We can learn to listen and hear His gentle whisper. We can train ourselves to look inward, look outward, and look upward. And as we do, we shouldn't be surprised at all to see that our God, our Rescuer, was standing by our side, walking with us every step of the way the entire time. Let's talk to Him. God, we are so glad that we do not worship a God made of wood or stone we are so thankful that you are alive, living and active, speaking, showing up in our lives, rescuing, rescuing us time and time again. God, we 
commit ourselves to learning to listen, to learning to look for you, trusting you, inviting you, asking you to be involved in our lives, and then giving you the thanks and the credit when you show up time and time again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Justin. Southfield, Southfield, what do you see? I think it's a, it's a great question to reflect upon during communion because we literally get a visual representation of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for each and every one of us. That sacrifice that, that he made to bridge the gap between a completely broken, sinful world that we are a part of, that we, um, that we are stuck in, and a holy and perfect God that wants a relationship with us, that wants us to be in heaven with him forever, but, but that sacrifice needed to be made. And we, we get that in the body and in the blood. So today as we go into communion, which is at all four corners of the room, gluten-free on the stage or on the left table uh, back by the doors, I'm going to encourage you to, to ask, where are you looking? What are you seeing? Is it time that you look in? Is it time that you sit and you hold communion and you stare at it and you, you believe that Jesus did make this sacrifice, that he does love you, that he does care for you, that he does want to take your sin away? Or is it time that you look out? Is it time that you look out and instead of worrying and panicking and, and saying, I, I just, I, I can't handle all that's happening around me, you say, God, help. God, I need you in this moment now. Help. Or it might be time to look up. To look up and think about maybe it's the last week, maybe it's the last month or the last year, all the ways in which God has moved in your life that you can see. Maybe you haven't given him credit. Maybe it's time to look up and say thanks. Our worship team is going to be singing, uh, singing a song while we go to communion, so you can go and receive it. But then I'd encourage you to start by sitting, holding and staring at the representation of Jesus' body and blood as you ask those questions. What do you see? Is it time for me to look in, look out, or look up?